0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Goose is Loose. Uh, Today's episode is an interesting one. We're doing a first-time guest, a friend of mine, Joshua Sands. He is a pastor, um, and he was a youth pastor when I met my wife. So a lot of family ties, good family friend of ours. Um, Basically, we have a discussion about white privilege. Uh, He came from a very tough childhood, and he was very opposed to the idea of white privilege, and he was very opposed to... uh, systemic racism in general as an institution and it made him very upset and I think that's where a lot of people I've been having this discussion with are um, because they have just not been present in these conversations in the way that I hoped so I'm starting to think that it's more of an emotional pride thing than anything so anyways uh, so I got Josh on the podcast that's our conversation Um, there is a break the segment break, it's probably just a few seconds, but we had a few technical issues at about the hour mark. Um, otherwise, it's a great conversation talking about white privilege. And our second part, we talk a little bit about um, the church's role in this and the Christian Christian's role in this. As Him and I are both Christians and been in the church a long time uh, doing youth ministry and college ministry. So we talk a little bit about that as well towards the end. Hope you guys enjoy it. Share the podcast. Um, subscribe. And let me know if you have any questions. Peace. All right, everybody, welcome back. So as I discussed earlier, if I did an opening, if I didn't, well, here we go. Uh, I'm having my buddy Josh here with us today. Um, What prompted this conversation was a Facebook question I had, which was basically, if you're offended by white privilege, why? Explain. I made this question mostly because um, from the conversation I've had with so many people, I'm perplexed. I don't understand why people are so upset about this when you're unaffected by it. And I don't understand why people are impervious and immune to facts in American history. Um, the, no amount of information I've given some people have has worked to change their mind on this. And I continue to get the same kind of response. So I think a big part of this, as any pastor or any friend of mine would tell you, because we love saying this, it's partly a heart issue. Meaning it's an issue within oneself. It's not an issue with the facts and logic that have been abound on this issue. So, I asked this question, a friend of mine, Josh, uh, who was a youth pastor, answered very candidly. Uh, I really appreciated his response. And where he is coming from is where I think a lot of you are coming from who have an issue with the idea of white privilege. Um, so I have Josh here. He was kind enough to come out to my really nice recording studio <laughs> uh, to... Record this uh, this segment of the podcast, first time we've ever had a guest on, and just tell us a little bit about a story. I want you to understand where he's coming from, so that you understand, uh, especially those of you who are offended by this idea, that you're really coming from the same spot. So I want you to hear where he's coming from in his journey, and then in the second part of our conversation, I'm going to ask him a little bit about the church. He's a very smart guy, and he's been around the church for a long time, and I want to get kind of his Christian perspective on this, and what we should be doing
1: as a church. Okay, so... Welcome,
0: Josh, to the podcast. Hey,
1: thanks for having me on. I'm a longtime listener. First time caller. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an honor to be here with friends <laughs> in this beautiful downtown recording studio. That's right. <laughs> Sponsored by Red Bull. Shout out. <laughs> yeah, man, it's great. It's um, great to be here.
0: Hey, let me get my assistant to give me a Red Bull real quick, so we can uh, so we can help out with the Red Bull sponsorship. All right. Uh, in the garage. Yep. So Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your childhood growing up, how your family life was, and just kind of give us the background on where you started and why you were originally offended by white privilege.
1: Yeah, man. That's a, that's a very heavy question. I, I, I would say that my life started off very unfortunate. When I look back... Just objectively at my life and some of the struggles that I had in my life, um, there was a lot of dysfunction, there was a lot of trauma, and a lot of things. I look back at, and when I see those same things in other people's lives, I'm I'm heartbroken by. It. So I I grew up. I was born in Long Beach. LBC. LBC, baby, Snoop Dogg. Uh, Back in 1985, I was born in, in the mid-80s in Long Beach. I was born to a mom who was a drug addict. Her, her drug of choice was heroin. And a father who was also a drug addict, and he hmm. had the same drug of choice. So growing up, some of my earliest memories, man, um, I, have, I have three memories you know, from age five or younger that really stick out to me. Uh, number one is I can remember being in the back seat of a car in the parking structure at a mall mm-hmm. and the police surrounding my vehicle and just dragging my father mm-hmm. out of his vehicle. And I'm in the backseat, man, I'm crying. I'm I'm like worried that something's happened to my dad. I go home, he's not there. How old were you? Do you remember? I was four. Four four, four slash five. Yeah. Um I can remember same age, my dad and I we were walking down the street and my dad tells me Josh take off your shirt. Okay. Why? Just take off your shirt. So I took off my shirt and I gave it to him. And my dad broke into some person's car, stole the radio and wrapped my shirt around the radio so no one know that he uh, that he stole it. Wow, yeah. Um another memory <laughs> <What>? <laughs> another memory that that I could have and you like this one. Um my parents had some friends who were drug addicts and getting out of jail, and uh, my my parents asked me to do something very strange. They said, you know, Josh, Josh, come over here. We, we want you to do something for us. Um, we want you to pee in this cup. Oh, man. Urinate in this cup. Oh, man. Um, at the time, I was like, okay, I'll do what you say. As an adult looking back, I can understand exactly what was happening. They had some friends that needed clean urine yeah. to pass their drug test for their probation. So I peed in the cup, and you know, a few days went went on, and um, things did not go well when the test came back. It turned out that my urine was dirty. It uh, turned out that I had I had urinated into this cup, oh, no. and there was something in my system that was not okay. Which was. I don't know. Oh, uh, I no. didn't get too far, you know, into that. But mm-hmm. I can remember, like, my parents fighting about this. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, fragments of memories here and there. Uh, you know, something about maybe some spoons being used for different things that they shouldn't have been being used for. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And those same spoons maybe be using, you know, being used for my cereal and whatnot. So, man, I got all these like memories of my childhood that are like super. Just dysfunctional and toxic and unhealthy and just drama-filled. Yeah. And when I was five, my my mom, my biological mom, she she passed away. Mm-hmm. She died from a a heroin overdose. And my dad, immediately mm-hmm. after that, went to jail. And my dad's been out of jail his whole life. Yeah. Right? In fact, if I'm completely honest, um, even in my adult life... I have very, very few opportunities to actually speak with him. I never know what he's doing. I never know where he's at. But the most, for for the majority of my life, my, my father has been in jail. In jail and out of jail. So here I am, this five-year-old orphan, like an actual orphan. Right. Parents cannot take care of me. Um, I wound up in the system for a little while, bouncing from family to family even. Um, and I finally kind of ended up in... Actually, a different state, the state of Oregon, uh-huh. to, to live with the family up there, um, and the family that I grew up with, um, man, you talk about like racism, you know, in America. And I think I think racism is such a is, is such a complicated word because if you get if you get ten people, if you get ten people in a room, and you ask them to define racism you will have 10 different definitions of what racism is. Right. I think anyone would agree with that. Yeah. For for one person, racism means this. For another person, racism means something totally different. Right? And in some way, they're all connected, and I get that. But I think when most people hear the word racism, they think of an overt type of racism. Right. You know... And I grew up in that type of, of, of household. Just like overt racism. Yeah, man. Like, raised you. like big time. Um I can I can remember being warned as a you know, as a six year old, as a seven year old, as an eight year old, I can remember being warned about people of different color. I can remember growing up, relatives of mine talking to me about how black people were out to get me. Mm. They were going to rob me if they saw me. They were they were out to hurt me. Right? I can remember the way that my family would talk about Mexicans, the way my family would talk about basically anyone that wasn't white. I was I was taught to fear. I was taught not to trust. I was taught to stick to my own kind mm. because there's safety and there's trust. Yeah. Inside that. Does it make sense? Yeah.
0: And I'm assuming the language that was used in the household wasn't quite as PC as you're as you're giving it
1: to me now. No. Definitely not as is um PC. Um I I grew up in a in a household. You know, it feels so weird even as I'm I'm thinking about saying this word. I, yeah. I I'm so against it, but I grew up in a house where the word nigger was used on the casual. Yeah. Wetback was used to describe anyone with a darker skin color than mine, right? Yeah. And and it was so toxic and, and and I can remember driving down the road seeing people of color and my family actually making a joke out of running over them with their vehicle simply because they were not white oh man right like that's that's what i grew up in yeah right now fortunately i think maybe by the grace of god by the grace of god i i always knew that that was evil right it disgusted me and i wanted nothing to do with it so even like as a as a young child man like in my heart, I was against racism, you know? And, like, I was like, no, this is ugly, this is violent, this is terrible. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, so as a result, as a result, um, I sort of developed, you know, this, this way about approaching the world where I decided that, you know, Josh is going to treat everyone equally.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I am going to be the type of person that is equally as generous to white people as I am black people, or Mexican people, or Asian people, or you know whoever. Like I don't want to treat anyone differently. And and I think, man, from a from a from a like a really young age, you know, I had that factor. I had that almost. That was a reaction to some of the toxic language and the toxic undertones sent you the other way a little bit yeah yeah so it it it, it, it sent me all the way the other way where you know if i'm you know if i'm completely honest um for the majority of my years i i felt like i didn't even need to enter into this race conversation or this racism you know dialogue because i always felt like i was good yeah you You did your part you were Yeah, you know, from like my entire life. I'm good. I don't I don't need to worry about a thing, you know. I'm not a racist, so this isn't pertain to me. Yeah, I don't I don't hate black people, you know. I don't I don't I don't hate Mexican people. Uh so I'm good. Like case closed, I don't I don't need to do anything. Right. You know. So anyways. Back I I feel like I kind of uh No no no, this is good you know yeah. went you know, went sideways, you know, a little bit on this. But um I can remember, man, just as a as a little kid, you know. And again, I I think this this was God, kind of speaking into me, but I also think I had a whole lot of like selfishness and a whole lot of pride here. I can remember thinking, you know, Josh, your your life, and your family, is so jacked up. That's not the life for you, right? Right. Like, um, you could say I was I was dealt a horrible hand of cards. Yeah. I was given lemons or, you know, whatever. whatever. Yeah. You know, like, um, I had a bad, you know, mom died, dad in jail in this new household that, that, and, and I don't, this isn't the time to get into, but man, there was all all sorts of abuse going on in, you know, that home that I grew up in. Um, but I can remember... Kind of developing this this chip on my shoulder, like this attitude this 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 thing that I carried around with me that said that i am different i am I am better, I'm going to prove myself, I am going to achieve i am going to I'm going to outwork everyone else because I did not want that to be my reality yeah right yeah, so totally. you know and in, in it was very much the American way. Of course. Right. Yeah. It's the American dream, bro, like pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go for it. Yeah. No one's, you know, no one's in charge of your own future, you know, except for you. So man, I I grew up, you know, in this in this mindset where man, there wasn't anything in the world that was going to stop me. There wasn't anything in the world that was going to hold me back, hold me down, and I was going to prove maybe to myself, pro- probably to myself. Um, that I had everything under control.
0: Yeah,
1: and I was going to outwork. I was going to outcharm. I was going to outperform. I was going to. I was going to make a life for myself. Totally. You know, in, in, in a big way. And and if I'm honest, I'm I'm thankful for that in some ways because I do believe that has worked to my benefit. Yeah, of course. Right? But there's also a dark side to that, you know. And I think I think the dark side. To that you know comes in this in this pridefulness,
0: yeah, and right? you said that kind of came
1: out when you heard about white privilege the first time oh totally, totally so I mean, you know if I can confess like I struggle with pride in a big way, and I don't I don't want anything just in my in my nature and who I'm as a person, I don't want anything anybody, any institution to get credit, <laughs> yeah for my accomplishments, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that makes sense, okay, so you look at where I came from, you know and maybe you can argue, maybe you can argue the only healthy way out of where I came from is to have that perspective,
0: mm.
1: right, maybe um like you have to be die hard you have to go and you have to get it and it it all depends on you and your ability to to kind of navigate all this craziness. Right. So you can argue that maybe that type of mindset is required to get up out of yeah. you know some of that dysfunction. So in a sense I say okay yeah I get it but you know the dark side to that is this you know is a sense of pride. In the sense of, man, I don't want to share my credit, my glory with anybody, Mm -hmm. right? So a few years ago, uh, probably, I don't know, 2015? Sure. Something like that? I'm not sure. Um, You know, terms like white privilege and systematic racism and, you know, all that stuff just kind of came out. And if I'm honest with you, when I first started to enter into those conversations and I first started to try to feel and try to learn I almost felt like I was drinking from a fire hose. Mm. Like, wait a minute, this is It's a lot. Yeah, what's going on here? You know, it's especially especially because the way that the way that I saw white privilege when it was first presented to me. And it's a stupid analogy, but it's the best one that I have. So you'll have to deal with it. <laughs> uh, the way that I saw white privilege was almost like Peter Parker. Uh-huh. In Spider Man. I mean there's been tons of Spider Man movies, so like there's been so many different uh, iterations of this scene. But remember when he gets bit by the spider? Yeah. Right? And he inherit and and then all of a sudden he has all these abilities, (laughs) all these superpowers, he has these reflexes, he has this spider sense. Yeah. There's just something about Peter Parker that makes him special. Right. Makes him makes him a step above everyone else. Right? So so when so when the idea of white privilege first got presented to me, I was like I did not get bit by no radioactive spider. Are you kidding me, man? Like, what in my life has privilege? Yeah. There's there's nothing about my life that has been privileged. Right. Right? Like I I know a lot of people. Most of my friends are people of color. And they have more privilege than I do. Right? Their life started off way better than, than mine did. Yeah. You know, I had to work and claw and fight and sweat and cry, you know, to 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 get anything in in life, right? So so this very notion this very idea that I had help just ticked me off, right? Like it was it (laughs) was a it was a a uh you know it's like, you know, nails on the chalkboard, fork on the plate. I I hate that because made you angry. Yeah, because it was it was discrediting Everything that I had built and everything that I had worked for, at least in my own mind. Sure. You know, I can remember having thoughts and, you know, i um, probably ashamed to say it now. You know, I had these thoughts. I'm lucky enough to not have vocalized these thoughts to many people. <laughs> but I can I can remember having them and the thoughts went something like this, man. Like, I guess when God was passing out white privilege. He skipped you. Dude. Yeah, I must have been on the <laughs> wrong side of that line. You know, yeah. I must have got lost somewhere because... I've had none of it. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> hear that one a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, but 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 hear it's hear That true. one a lot. But yeah. It's true. You know, if you if you enter in this conversation about you know white privilege from this you know radioactive spider type thing, like it's it's only obvious that no one feels that way.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Like it's and it, and I get it, and I get where I was at that point. You know, I can remember thinking, um, okay, so. Growing up, the way that I grew up, being orphaned and having all this dysfunction and all this toxicity in my life, if that's privilege, then yeah, I have it. <laughs> you know, I'll admit that, right? Um, you know, or hey, you know what I, in- I inherited from my mom when she passed? What? Hepatitis C. Like, okay, it's it's privilege to inherit that. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So uh, the only thing my parents gave me was a whole list of insecurities, mountains to climb, and also this disease that uh, you know, you can't get away from. You know, and just you know, just to clarify that, um my mom, you know, she you know, I don't have many memories of her. I I I remember that she loved me. I remember a few things as I get older the, the memories fade. Um but she had hepatitis C. Yeah. Right. Uh from her drug use. Yeah. And she passed that on to me as a baby, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I was twenty five years old that I went in and I got tested not not for that, just a general checkup, and they found that, you know. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, I've actually lived my entire life without touching any kind of drug,
0: right?
1: Simply because, like, not even smoking. Like, I have lived my life on purpose. To avoid the hurt and the trauma and the pain of my childhood, I do not want to duplicate that. I actually believe that it's it's my job in life to break my family cycle. Like yeah. that's like that's the, like that's a core driver for me. So when I'm so when I got get this news that hey Josh, guess what? It doesn't matter how hard you worked, and it doesn't matter all the good decisions you've made. You can't get away from this, anyways. You know. So I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, right, man. What kind of privilege is that? Like, like you don't know me, you know. Like you, no. you, you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me, that I have any privilege, right? You now, just because I, and I get it. I'm not saying I was, I was, in a, in a bad place at that time. I'm saying like you came from hell is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. In the develop, in the progression of my life, that's where I was at. Yeah. Like no,
0: you came from the lowest of the lowest. Yeah,
1: like bro, I how in the, you know. F word. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he said I was a pastor, so I can't cuss, you know. Um He means how in the fuck. <laughs> Your words, bro. Um The goose is loose. <laughs> thug life, baby, thug life. Um you know the so, youth pastor joke there. Um <laughs> uh, you know, how in the world, you know, do I have white privilege? I just I just I hated it, man. Yeah. And Really, what it did was it attacked my own pride. Yeah, I struggle so much with my own ego. I struggle so much with my own pride. I struggle so much with trying to elevate myself, especially coming from some of the dysfunction that I came from. Like, like, like that can be a blind spot at for, for me at, at times. So, so if anyone dared to give my credit. To something other than me, yeah. I lost it. Like no, like that is absolutely ridiculous. You know, to try to say that you know systematic racism or or systematically this country was set up for me to succeed because I'm white. <laughs> yeah. Like it's excuse expensive. me. Like no, the, that's incredibly offensive because my experience tells me otherwise. Yeah. You know my my lens and the way that I look through the world tells me that you're full of crap. Yeah. Right? That no, that is not true. This the system that America was built on was not for me. I'm white. Therefore, white privilege is bogus.
0: Right. Does that make sense? No, I mean, listen, hearing your story and like understanding, putting myself in your shoes, I would come to the exact same conclusion. Yeah, for sure. Um now when how did you how did you go forward from that? Like, so you're there at that spot. We understand where you were. What made you move on? Well,
1: you know, I think one of the things that I always have been open to in my life is learning. Yeah. You know? And if I ever get to the place where I feel like I have it all figured out, mm. then I'm in, a, I'm in a very harmful very unhealthy place, right? So as much as as I was wrestling with this notion, I could still see that everything that I feel is because of my vantage point on life. Yeah. Right? That my feelings are so tied up in my perspective like, it's it's almost like a one-for-one one ratio. Yeah. Right? Like, my, my perspective is the truth. Right. Well, I know, just by being a thinker, <laughs> that... Perception's not always reality. Perception is not always reality. Exactly. And there is possibly something here that I'm not seeing. And, apart from that, I'm preaching every week, and I'm teaching every week. I'm I'm taking the Bible and doing the best that I can to encourage other people to live a life of wisdom, to live a life that that is dedicated to to, to Jesus, you know, and 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 all these wonderful principles that that we see in in Scripture. And I'm open and I'm sensitive to that kind of stuff, and then I start to sense the sense of pride. Hmm. You know that the, that I have, and i I start to sense that man i'm I'm angry about this. Why does this conversation lead to anger?
0: Mm.
1: right yeah and and luckily, I was perceptive enough to know that this shouldn't lead to anger, right This shouldn't lead to me being frustrated, this shouldn't lead to me being upset. so obviously, obviously, there's something deeper here yeah although I will say from <laughs> that's not an obvious conclusion,
0: that's a very nuanced and a very take every thought captive position to have that's a lot of Jesus work, yeah and that's well, a lot of maturity there well, and most people listening to this just don't do that they don't take something they don't think why am I upset about this? Let me take that captive and let me really think about it and it reflects within me. Everything is always outward, yeah so they'll think so and so said this that upset me that's why I'm upset, so it's it's so, I mean, I, it sounds simpler when you say it. It's obviously a lot easier said than
1: done. Yeah, well, thank you for that encouragement. I think that's what it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: it's in there. It's in there. Yeah, um, that's how most of my compliments go. Yeah. <laughs> it's in there.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I'm just looking, you know, at, at this whole thing and I just noticed that, man, in my heart, I I shouldn't be offended by this, you know, and I shouldn't be so upset by this. And I I disagree with a lot of things, Yeah. J- just in life, right? Um, there I have a very strong mind and I have very strong opinions about things and I disagree oh, in a major way with a lot of things. But most of the things that I disagree with I I don't get angry about. Right. Right? Like you can throw any thing out there and I can tell you my opinion, you can tell me your opinion. And if you you don't know, have a different opinion than I do, like I'm cool. Like we could still be buds, you know, like that's, that's fine with me. But with this specific issue, it, it set me off. Yeah. And that helped me to realize that there's something a whole lot deeper going in here. And maybe just maybe my pride, my arrogance, my selfishness, my self worth mm. was somehow tied to this conversation. Yeah. You know, and then once I got that, you know, then then that helped me to understand. Okay, you gotta learn a little bit more. You know, you gotta talk a little bit more with people, and probably more importantly, you have to be open. And, you know, I guess from a Christian perspective, which I come from, you gotta be open to to the Spirit of God working inside of you, totally, and softening your heart. And understanding that change is okay, you know, be growing and maturing and, 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 and allowing, you know, God's truth to really go from your mind to your heart, you know, is something that is so important, you know? So, so for me, I started to kind of go on this journey of, okay, well, I got to fix this because I'm not going to walk around angry. Yeah You know So I started I started to do that um, I started to have a lot of conversations with people that, Especially people of color mm-hmm. Right And if I'm honest with you I have friends who are of color Black friends I have a lot of Mexican friends Some, some Cuban friends Who When I'm entering into this conversation A lot of them actually Agree with me That white privilege is stupid It doesn't exist Yeah Right I have a lot of friends of color who thinks that, you know, they they would say systematic racism is bogus. Yeah. It, it, it's not a thing. Right? But I got a lot more friends that say, yeah, it's real. Like, it's there. You know? Like, I feel it on the daily. Right? I started to read a lot. You know, whether they're, uh, articles. Um, Listen to a lot of videos too, you know, people people that I trust, not to be biased, but to actually bring some intelligent uh insights yeah. on some of these issues. And I started to, you know, read books and, you know, really just allow God to 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 shape my perspective, you know, on that. And I think, um, that over time i started to get softer and softer on this issue mm-hmm. in terms of the, the anger yeah, in my I understand. Heart. you know um, i i started to i started to distance my story from the overall story yeah right so this is a conversation that is a a macro level conversation exactly right yeah it's a systemic conversation it's a it's a big picture conversation yeah I I know I I just keep saying this over and Uh, over again
0: let me add to that because I think that that's a very important uh, point in this is that although I think that individual and I said this on the last podcast I think individual experiences add color to the narrative the overall narrative is one of facts of systems of the history of the United States I don't think that individual stories tell the whole story. It's impossible. I think that they, because like some people, like you're saying now, you're a white guy who had a very hard life, obviously. There could be a black guy who had a wonderful life. He never had anything go wrong with him ever. He never got pulled over by the police. Nothing ever happened to him. He went to UCLA. He had a great life. That could be, that's probably a real person too. You know what I mean? That doesn't tell the whole story. and your short, doesn't tell the whole story. But I think that it holds people back from understanding what's going on. And then you have people like Candace Owens who come on and just spout this like nonsensical, uneducated opinion and people will buy it. So then you have everyone believing the American dream of like, no, if you just work hard, everyone starts out the same. Everyone's equal. And that's just not the case in this country. And I think that individual stories hold people back from understanding that. What I'm hearing from you is, listen, this is where I started – but I listened to some people. I did some research. Mm-hmm. I, was willing, I wasn't willing to be convinced. I was just willing to listen. That's all that it takes. And over time, I started seeing maybe I wasn't fully correct about this. Mm-hmm. And like I was telling you before over lunch, there's a big difference between having privilege because you're rich, a class privilege because you come from wealth, yeah. and having privilege because of your color of your skin. And I've said this to listeners of the podcast a million times. White privilege is not you had an easy life. White privilege is all the shit that's happened to you didn't happen to you because of the color of your skin. That's it. There are things that happened to me and there's things that have happened to other people of color that happened just because we're not white. That has never happened to a white person. Your life may be really hard, but it wouldn't, it's not hard because you're white. It's hard because your family might be poor. It's hard because your mom might be a drug addict. But if you look at the overall history, if you look at where we come from, if you look at things like redlining and the war on drugs and things we went over on the last podcast, it's just the facts. I, I this is and this is why I'm ha- happy to have this conversation with you because it's odd to me that people are so offended by the facts. And you've actually been super. I mean, now I'm understanding where you're coming from. I'm understanding where a lot of people come from, which is why I was telling Josh he's the case study for a lot of people I've been talking to because they're so offended by this. And now I'm actually learning a lot. So. Uh, yeah, I really
1: appreciate that. Can we just can we just pause to uh acknowledge that I just talk. I just helped a uh lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Basically yeah. A, a I'm, learning <laughs> I'm learning a lot.
0: I'm learning yeah, a lot. It's no. very educational. I'm hoping you guys are being educated by this. It's very educational for me.
1: Yeah, you know, and and honestly what I see cuz man, I'm I'm having these conversations with so many people. Yeah. And you know, usually where people get stuck is Someplace similar to where i got stuck um that my life was hard you know or you know i grew up in san bernardino and people used to jump me because i was white so don't tell me that you know, so, so, like i mean these are these are real conversations that yeah. that i'm having with people you know and i got to be sensitive to the fact that you know, this isn't something that you can present the facts and people and will change people's minds. Like, <laughs> like, like you, like you can't do that because people are inherently guarded. Yeah, they want to be on the right side of this conversation. So any implication that they that they are on the wrong side of this conversation, maybe not by any of their own doing, but just by benefiting from the system, people like their defenses go up yeah you know, and you got to get to a place where you can have this conversation and actually remove yourself from the conversation and I think one of the things that was helpful for me is i can I can look at the history of our country and I can understand that we started in a terrible place right now you may want to argue you know our country was founded on like. Freedom and you know God and you know, you know all this stuff, right? Like, yeah. like there's definitely a there's definitely a population of people who glorify the starting of our country, and I would like to say that there are a lot of wonderful things about our country. Totally, and there are a lot of wonderful things about what our, you know how our country started, but there's some blind spots. There's some there's some birth defects, right? <laughs> yeah. there, there 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 are some. Unhealthy fibers woven into our DNA, right? They're yeah. like it's it's there, right? Yeah. Um, and I would say that a lot of that you can you can just trace the history of where our country started from now to where it is now, and you can connect the dots. Yeah, it's not hard to. No, it's very linear if you know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and you know it's you know it's almost like um, and, and this is a terrible analogy.
0: But again, king, uh, king of telephone analogy. Yeah, the right, first one's pretty good. I like the Peter Parker one.
1: It's the best one I have. Okay. Wow, really? It's the best one I have all right. for for this thing, for this, okay? In the in the, in the hour or 2 that I've been thinking about it. Um So and the problem with analogies is they all break down somewhere, right? So <laughs> um hmm. You know, have you ever bought like Bug spray or wheat spray, yeah. like from the store. Like you can buy it where it's already pre-mixed, mm-hmm. or you can buy the concentrated version. Right. Right. Um I felt I feel like racism was so concentrated in the inception of our country. Right? Where, you know, with the bug spray or the wheat spray or whatever, the orange juice or the apple juice that's concentrated, right? Yeah. Whatever. You you add water to it. To, to, to you know, to make it what it's supposed to be. Right. Right. Um, in this sense, with our country, we had this very concentrated element of racism built into our country. Right? Like, people taken against, against their will, brought to our country, and forced to live these terrible lives. I mean... That's as concentrated as, as <laughs> yeah. it gets, right? Yeah. Horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Over time, though, I think our country, we have made awesome steps. Yeah. We have gotten better. Totally. We have added water to the to the concentration, right? We have added water to the mixture. Right. Right. So we've made positive steps. Things have gotten better. but But here we are in 2020, and you can still see it. Yeah. It may not be as concentrated as it as it was in the seventeen hundreds. It's diluted, but it's still there. But it but it's still there. Yeah. And and for you to say, yeah, but it's it's not concentrated, you know, versus you know, where it is not like like that like that's not fair. Yeah, see like and that's not that's not helpful at all to the conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm sure what you're saying. Yeah. So um anyways, all that to say, you know, I I can see how that is still the case now in our country, and how people of color generally have experiences that I never do, right? Yeah. I have I have three wonderful kids at home, and I've never had to talk to any of them about how they behave Yeah, in front of the police. I've gotten pulled over, I think, once or twice with kids in the car. And I've never had to tell them to, you know, yeah. do what I need them that's, to do. That's, right? a rough, that's
0: a rough topic. I, uh, um, I had a conversation with my nephew uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago on Chelsea's side, my wife's side. And I hate to say this because me being <laughs> having a JD and knowing our rights and stuff, I literally had to say, listen, when you get pulled over by the cops, you just do exactly what they say and I'll fight for you later. We'll go to court later, and we'll fight for your rights later. you got to just survive the encounter.
1: Yeah. And I just survive
0: the encounter. I it's like telling that. him how to meet a wild animal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like dealing with the police, it's like telling him to deal with a tiger. Just, do, just don't make any sudden movements. Don't look it in the eye. Mm. Just do exactly what it says. And if it violates one of your constitutional rights in this country, we'll, I'll deal with it later. I went to school for this. We'll deal with it later. I'll go to court. We'll get you out. Don't worry about it. Just do exa- Just survive the encounter first. And, dude, it it, hurt, it broke my heart to have to say something like that to him. But I know that. I think about that all the time. When I get pulled over, I'm thinking, big brown guy? If this cop is smaller than me, the chances are really high that he is. He's going to be just a little intimidated right away. He doesn't know I went to law school. He doesn't know I'm educated. All he knows is that i a big brown guy in a car, he's pulling me over. What if I'm violent? You know? Yeah. And I think, I, I have to think through... Every action that I make and how he's going to perceive or she, how they're going to perceive my actions. And I have to remain calm. No matter what they do, I have to just follow exact what they say and I just have to survive the encounter. And I'll deal with whatever happens later because I'm still alive then. But I think of somebody like Philando Castile who's in his car. I don't know if you remember this one. This one, like, oh, I always think about this one. This is the guy who was in his car and the cop comes up. Black guy. Scenario, kind of the scenario you just said. Black guy. He's got his wife. He's got a kid in the back. The cop says, do you have any weapons on you? He says, yes, I'm a registered gun owner. I have a gun. He goes, I'm going to get my license and registration out. The cop says, don't go for your gun. He says, I'm not. I'm getting my license and registration out. And the cop says, don't go for it again. And Philando's saying, I'm not. And the cop shoots him point blank in the chest twice from the window. He's, I mean, you know, like a cop at your window on the driver's side shoots him point blank with this kid in the back seat. What did he do? He's following, he's doing what you said. So to me, it's like, I'm not moving my hands. I'm not doing anything. I'm just trying to survive the encounter and having to tell my nephew that. And I told him the same Philando Castile story because that to me is like the epitome of you doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and getting shot. And just complete side note, uh, NRA doesn't say a word, which the NRA clearly exists only to protect white people's Second Amendment rights, obviously. At this point, right, they say nothing. And two, like,
1: what, what else can you do? Just don't do anything. You know, it's, it's funny, too, and this is probably a little bit incriminating for me. And uh, I am kind of ashamed to admit it, but I think it's helpful to the conversation. Sure. So I'll say it anyways. I can remember in my younger years, like six months ago. No, I was playing. I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was playing. Um, in my younger years, rolled around town with my friends, expired tags, no insurance, Jeez. And my friends are like, Josh, you're crazy. You know, and you know, in my in my youth, you know, I'm like, nah, dude, I'm white. You know, like I'm good. <laughs> no one's gonna pull me over. You know, if and of course all my friends are laughing at that, like, oh man, that's so funny. But like there's a there's a trace of yeah, truth. Yeah, there's
0: an ounce of truth in there.
1: Right? Like I I actually felt like I could be brave enough. Now now whether or not that was the reality or not, right. that's how I felt. Right. That like no, I'm I'm good. You know, like I can, I can drive and I don't have to worry about this yeah. at all. And what's the worst, the worst thing that could happen to me, at least in my mind at that right. time would have been, I'll get a fix ticket.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I was going to say. It's true. If you look at the statistics of like how deadly an encounter with the police is for a black person is two and a half times more deadly. So you run into the cop, they give you a fixed ticket. That's it. Black guy gets pulled over. They find a reason to search his car. You know, like, oh, you smell like weed. They literally, by the way, criminal law is so crazy that that's literally all you still have to say nowadays. And they search your car. You know what I mean? Like, there's so yeah. much more into it. And, like, I'm, I'm obviously you're not thinking through all of this as you're a kid.
1: Yeah. But,
0: like, in the reality, that's true. It's like, that's probably the worst that's going to happen to you. Unless you unless you have a gun or something in the car, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to get a fixed ticket. For me, you know, or for someone black, like... That to me is like I don't want to get pulled over by the cops because every time I do, I feel like I'm I'm dealing with like a potentially life threatening situation.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm more afraid of the cops than of anybody. Yeah, you know that and the guy I saw with the uh, American flag and the noose in the back of his car. I'm afraid of those people. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> you that. know,
1: I was I'm I afraid was of those people. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to get a gun.
0: I'm gonna have to get a gun or just the gym's
1: open again. But I think I still need a gun. Yeah, you know. So like for me, I've I've never had to educate my kids. on, yeah. on any of that. Yeah, and and I. I'm thankful for that. I am. And I can recognize that my truth and my reality is not the same as other people's truth, you know, and other people's reality. I've never had to, I mean, of course, you know, we all have some kind of rebellion in us or some kind of, of like, you know, stick it to the man. But yeah. generally speaking, I have always trusted those in authority over me. Yeah, you know, I've always trusted teachers and principals and guidance counselors and mayors and governors and you know, I've I've never had any reason to distrust. Yeah. And that's not the reality for a lot of my friends of color. You know, so I can I can take my life and kind of say, okay, I can understand all the obstacles that I had to overcome. That wasn't one of them, yeah right that 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 wasn't and once i once I came to that conclusion there's freedom in that mm. right there's there, there's incredible freedom there's incredible freedom freedom in being able to look at someone else's reality and have compassion, yeah rather than being angry at the overall narrative mm right? And and for me, you know, I found that kind of once I entered into this this season of saying, okay, Josh, there's something off here. You got to get it right. You got to find some 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 people to talk with, some some education. Um and and really where I came out of it was kind of a little bit more compassionate and I think a better human being. Yeah, I would agree that allows me and and here's the key, that allows me to be present in someone else's pain without bringing all my baggage to the equation. Mm. right? So a few years ago, I don't think I, I, I would have had the capacity to enter into this conversation, this specific conversation with someone who might be hurting, and not bring my own baggage to it. And totally dilute the conversation. Right, and I'm guilty of doing that. Like I will sell myself out here. Like I'm guilty <laughs> of having conversations with some of my friends and some of my brothers, some of my sisters that were hurting, and then me bringing the yeah, but look at my life. Right, you know, and like I look back and just think, Josh, you idiot. Like you totally just dismissed, you know, some of their hurt and some of their pain, and I'm ashamed for that. But I, but I think today. You know, um, I think I've been able to kind of separate my own story, my own narrative, from the overall you know kind of perspective of of what's going on in our country and I would say this is this is the conclusion that I came up with on on the whole matter, yeah, specifically regarding white privilege, if I'm honest, which I can be honest here, right of course, um there are still times where I Question: The amount of privilege that I actually have, yeah, because it still feels like I don't have any, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and that's just me saying, listen, I don't feel like I have white privilege, you know, but that's because of my my struggle, you know, it's, it's something that I I don't always, you know, that's not my first. This is what I have, you know, but I can recognize that there were people around me that have struggles that I have no idea what it's like. They have disadvantages that I never had to deal with. And logically, logically, in my mind, I can get around the idea that I have privilege because I'm white. In my heart, I don't always get that. Yeah, it's hard. You know? And I think that's okay. I I, I think it's okay to wrestle with that. Yeah. Um... But here's where I came out of that that whole journey. I can logically look at my life and say I have privilege. And privilege due to my skin color. And I think for me, whatever measure of privilege I have, I need to be okay with that. And I need to understand that that privilege is not to be used for my own benefit.
0: Hmm.
1: It's not to be used to further Josh's kingdom. Are you
0: are you bringing this back to Spider-Man right
1: now? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> With great power comes <laughs> yeah. great responsibility. No, but thank you for making that point. Thank you for making that point. Um you know, I can understand that that any advantage, I mean I mean and this just goes back to scripture, right? Yeah. Like any anything that you have, any kind of wealth that you have, any kind of influence that you have, whatever it is, it's not yours to, to use selfishly. Right. You know, it's it's yours to, to give away. Mm. You know, so I I've kind of come out of this whole thing thinking, okay, yes, I still struggle at times at how much privilege I actually have, but if I have any, I better use it to help other people. Right. Especially especially people that are on the margins. Especially the oppressed. Especially the last the lost, the least, the hurting, the outcast on the fringes of society like i need to use whatever i have for their benefit.
0: Yeah, i think this is actually a good segue into the second part which was what do you so what do you
1: think the church's response to this should be? Well, let me let me wrap that up real quick cuz i think yeah. it's a good segue to, to to your segue. Yeah. And friends, especially believers in Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Has has there been anyone who has had more privilege than the Son of God walking <laughs> sure. as a human being. Right. What did he do with his privilege? What did he do with it? Well, he didn't have a home, right? He He lived his life in service of other people. Jesus said things like, you know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven should become the you know a servant to all right like 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 Jesus life was all about serving and blessing other people specifically the marginalized the right. last the lost and the least mm-hmm. like that's what Jesus did that that was his mission here right to the point where he died you know he was he was killed he gave his life and if we just simply use that as a model yeah. i don't see how we we can't use whatever we have you know, for for other people. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, can you can you say the question again? I no. Got so you. yeah. No.
0: I and I I love your point. What I was saying is, I think that's so relevant to my next question because you know, coming from where I am, uh, I go to Beach Point in Fountain Valley, um, and I was having this discussion with a friend of mine there, uh, and I you know I think the church that I attend has been so white centric for so long that this is a very hard discussion for them to have because we just have not included racial equality in fighting for, you know, when we talk about the least of these, we're never talking about racism in America. That's never the context. We're talking about people in Africa. We're talking about poor people in Mexico. We're never talking about problems here. And I think that that's been left out of the discussion so long that now we're talking about it. You know, this just came up in my church and I was very happy with the sermon, uh, I think two weekends ago or three weekends ago, uh, about racial inequality and a lot of people were offended by it they were like why are you bringing this up in church it's not part of christianity you know and on, I honestly that's like been the response to some of it and to me that's bewildering because i think that's crazy to me you know, that that sounds like it that's so illogical to me um so but now my church is trying to bring this into the conversation and i and i'm serious i mean people of color that are probably you can count on one hand it's very difficult but it's almost like bringing in a new thing, you know. It's almost like bringing in a new problem that no one's ever thought about.
1: Yeah, so, we only care about abortion. Yeah, right? we only care.
0: But, and yeah. that's the other thing. My <laughs> wife shared a video uh, from a friend of mine, John Duma, who runs a podcast.
1: And 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 gay marriage. And gay marriage, so, exactly. So let's let's fight against those those things. You know, but but this is too political. We do want to bring it in. The racial inequality. It's not at that level. It's not at that level. But, in fact, that's probably like down at number 25 of (laughs) Of things we can talk about
0: yeah Yeah. uh yeah it's funny you said that because my friend john dumas runs a podcast real talk with uh john dumas and he was talking about how yeah the church will talk about gay marriage and the church will talk about abortion but when it comes to things like racial inequality uh in america and you know everything we've talked about in this podcast redlining criminal justice that's just too political for them Uh, to bring up. Even though abortion and gay marriage were the most political things of their time, they're still political today. Uh, And it's just a place of privilege. It's a place that this doesn't affect you, so why would we talk about it? It's just, you know, racial inequality just doesn't affect Beach Point. It doesn't affect my church, because there's almost nobody there who it affects. Everyone there basically is white. It just doesn't matter to them. I was having another discussion with a friend of mine who used to work at Beach Point, and he now lives in Indiana, and he was telling me that it just didn't come up very often for him because why would it? He was a white guy in a mostly white church. A person of color struggles just doesn't come up. It's yeah. just not something you deal with in your everyday life. And I was, you know, I was talking to my wife. We think about this every day. This is my every single day. Every day we think about where should we go? Can we go there? Is it safe? We think about just the racial inequality in America and talking to my nephew and things like that come up every day. There's like every day we're we're living in this reality and it just doesn't affect people so it doesn't come up. And we'll stop the segment. All right, we're going to stop this segment in five seconds and start the next segment. Okay, now we're on part two. Um, It was two segments for some reason. But anyways, it's just, it's frustrating because I think that it just doesn't come up in the church. Uh, And because of that, and because it doesn't affect the members of the church body it just it's not relevant to them so now but now it's in your face i mean now you see 9 minutes of george floyd getting slowly killed and it's in everybody's face and now we have to talk about it and people act like it's a burden mm-hmm. it's a new burden for them and it's been a burden for everybody our whole life you know what i mean like i've and i understand part of it is just that a lot of the stuff like you said it was drinking from a fire hydrant People were just never taught these things. Like a lot of this was just never taught, and a lot of people that attend the church were never never learned about redlining. They never learned about the the effects of the war on drugs. They learned it happened. They didn't learn why.
1: They didn't yeah, learn I how. Think, I think Tupac said instead of a war on poverty, they got a war on drugs, so the police can bother me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this guy. Yeah. So yeah, no, but he's right. Yeah, yeah. But he was right. I mean.
0: One of the policy, I say this in the last podcast, but I just feel like people don't, like, really think about this. One, and I don't have the quote in front of me, so now I'm paraphrasing it. But one of the policy advisors for Richard Nixon literally said, we are criminalizing pot and crack cocaine so that we can go after hippies and black people. We can't make it illegal to be a black, and we can't make it illegal to be a hippie. But we can make it illegal to do these drugs, which these group of people do, and then we can vilify them on the news, and we can go after them. He said this. Look it up verbatim. So that's a tangent. But my point is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on a tangent here. Yeah, but that's yeah. the point of the podcast, it's just my tangents recorded. Yeah. But, my, but my point is, the church is, is finding itself, at least the American church, well, the white evangelical church in America is finding itself in a place of, oh, we actually have to talk about this now. We can't just, we can't literally just spout out the Republican talking points. From the pulpit about gay marriage and abortion yeah we actually have to deal with things like racial inequality in america so where do you think we what the church fits
1: into this <laughs> that's oh, the man. question man, i got so many <laughs> thoughts all right all right so i'll just share a few of my thoughts yeah and please interject and in, as you as you want to um i think my first thought would be this churchgoers hate talking about politics if they don't agree with the politics.
0: Hmm.
1: Right? So I can't tell you how many times I've heard, hey, let's keep politics out of church. Right. But if the politics you're talking about happen to line up with your beliefs, then you're all for it. Right? Um, So I just, you know, that's a thought. That's probably not directly answering your question. No, but yeah, it's it's relevant. So, uh, and I think maybe that's what you see with the evangelical, you know, church is... You know, because, and I'm guilty of generalizing here and <laughs> sweeping with a broad stroke, you know, all that stuff. I'm I'm guilty of that. Yeah. But, you know, because I think there hasn't been a, maybe like a heart change and people don't see it, you know, people can get very dismissive over this issue. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a real issue, then I don't want to spend time on it. Sure. You know, so I think, I think that's one factor um that 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 you have to acknowledge is there in, in some part yeah right um i think another thing that our culture our christian culture our evangelical culture our american christianity culture has been guilty of is reducing the gospel down to a message that says you don't have to go to hell if you just accept Jesus, mm. and they totally miss what a fulfilled gospel looks like, right? Getting into heaven is major, right? That's a big deal, right? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah of course, yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, I I would say it's probably the biggest deal, you know. But that is a it's a symptom of the gospel. It's a it's 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 not the whole story. Yeah, right? When 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 Jesus in Matthew, you know, when he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, like God, your kingdom and your kingdom rules, and your way of looking at things, and your way of justice, and love, you know, and, and humility. Like your kingdom come down here on earth, right? Yeah, it's in heaven bring it down here on earth. Right? Like the gospel says, that in your own being, in your heart, you have kingdom ethics, right? You have you have a kingdom mindset. Like the kingdom of heaven come down to earth, come down to us, come down to our church. We want to be reconcilers of this world, mm-hmm. right? We we want to bring god's love and god's truth and god's equality to the people around us like the gospel is so much more than a get out of hell free card right and i think that so often you know we can reduce it down to that and totally miss totally miss other elements of the gospel you know and you know i'm i'm under the belief that if it's a big deal in the old testament you know and it's a big deal in the new testament it's on the mount rushmore of things <laughs> sure. in your faith that you should be thinking about yeah. right you know and you know there's there's plenty of things in the old testament that maybe aren't reflected in the new testament you know and and, and i get that and my heart isn't to minimize any of that my heart just to to elevate you know like hey a big a huge deal in the old testament was justice mm-hmm It's in people's nature to be oppressive. Therefore, don't do that. Go after the oppressed and elevate them and restore them, bring justice to them, right? And then you got the New Testament, right? You got passages like in the book of James that says, hey, true religion is this Mm -hmm. to look after the widows, to look after the orphans, to keep oneself unstained from the world. And the implication behind there is this if there's a true religion, there's also a. Bad religion there's 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 also uh spoiler alert there's also a uh garbage form of christianity (laughs) right? right but but true christianity true religion says hey listen the people in your neighborhoods and the people in your street and the people in in your church or your influence or your community the people that need help the people that need looking after the fatherless the oppressed the widows Like the true fruit of the Christian life is to is to is to go after that, right? Yeah, and to you know, and and, you know, to me, I just see it so clearly, you know. And I'm not trying to say like I'm some kind of enlightened. Oh, you're a saint for sure. You know, I'm not (laughs) Saint Joshua. You know, no, like there's nothing that I'm looking at that I've had to go to seminary for. It's just it's obvious to me. It's in there in the text that the heart of god is to look after the people that need looking after yeah and i find it so interesting here's another thought i find it so interesting that the church the evangelical church is so generous like like honestly some of the most generous loving and compassionate people i know
0: mm-hmm.
1: are christians right no doubt about it. You could even go through the history of the world, and you realize how much of an impact Christianity has had on the modern world—from hospitals to schools to you know the 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 list goes on and on. Like Christian influence and impact in our 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 call towards charity. You know, it's like it's monumental the amount of impact it's had on the world. Right? When a when a natural disaster happens, you know, and funding, you know. We're quick to, to send money, send missionaries, like let's go rebuild when, when, when we want to support churches in Egypt or wherever, like, hey, like these people are they have nothing, you know they're, uh, they're under an oppressive, uh, uh, oppressive, you know, corrupt government. We want to send our resources like we send them there, yeah. right And I just think it's so interesting that when it comes to this issue in our country, we don't have that same generous heart, mm. right. And I think what it comes down to is this. I think what it comes down to is this. We're very quick to help other people or other nations or other churches or other mission organizations when we can look at what is going on there and not have any attachment to it. Right. Right? You can look at um, you know children in another country and support that because you recognize that you had no part in that so therefore none of your self-worth none of your pride or none of your being is wrapped up in that and it allows you to be generous without having to consider that there might be something going on in your own heart that is contributing to the issue or any kind of responsibility to it yeah but with this issue it's obvious that this is an issue in our country but yes so many people want to ignore it not because they don't have the money, or not because they don't have the capacity, or not because they don't have the resources to help, because it asks a very hard question. And the question is, is this your fault, mm. right? And and even if you can say it's it's not your fault, have you benefited? Have you benefited from the system? Have you been silent for too long? Yeah. And and people generally don't want to go there, mm. right? Um, that's why you know. Well, I've never owned slaves, right? <laughs> you know, why is this my problem? I've never, you know, yeah, I've never put a knee to some guy's throat and made him die. Like that wasn't me. Why am I responsible for that? Right, right. And it's very much the American way to say, "Hey, prove to me how I'm wrong." Yeah, no, it's very individualistic. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, of course, I'm never going to be able to prove to you how you directly had a hand in this, right? You know. But there's a problem. Why can't you be
0: on board for fixing it?
1: Right? Yeah. So there's so there's two scriptures. Oh yeah, here they are. Yeah, my there's surprise. Two, yeah, 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 there's two scriptures. I I told uh I I told I told Gustavo that I had some some ideas from the Bible that I thought were powerful. Um and you know, I've kind of heard these things here and there from different sources, but one really stuck with me and that's the story of Nehemiah. Mm. Okay. Uh just a real quick you know third grade Sunday school <laughs> my favorite narrative of who Nehemiah was Nehemiah was an assistant to the king he he was one of the king's men right and he got news one day that his people were being like oppressed like things in his country were they were bad right and he was serving under a different king it, it wasn't the king of you know his Nation of Israel people he was he was with the foreign king and and this is what Nehemiah did if you know the story. He mourned right He looked at the problem and he decided he wanted to fix it
0: mm-hmm.
1: now Nehemiah had no personal responsibility in that problem right right he had, he had nothing to do with the destruction of the nation, but he felt like he needed. To be part of the restoration of it. Yeah. Right? And in fact, Nehemiah is coming from a position of incredible privilege. Right. Being so close to the king and to have all of his resources. He looked at his privilege, right? He looked at the resources that were available to him, and he used that. To help his people that were broken. Mm. Right? Now, he didn't just gather up the resources and send them away, although I think that would have been noble. Right. Right? He's like, No, I'm gonna roll up my sleeves, I'm gonna get to work, I'm gonna help rebuild and restore my country, mm. my wall. And I and and I think that's such a beautiful posture to take. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, in our country obviously something's broken obviously something is wrong and whatever amount of privilege I have I want to use that to bring restoration to people to something that I love so much and I don't see Nehemiah ever once saying well it's not my fault (laughs) you know show me where I shot a cannon at the wall Like, like he's like no there's a problem there's an issue I need to help, right? And and I think that posture is so important to take. And like how powerful would it be for American Christians to take this Nehemiah stance that says, you know, there's a problem, Yeah. and I want to be part of the solution, and I want to fix it. And if that means swallowing my pride a little bit and getting past my own reservations, yeah, I'm going to do it.
0: That would be a God miracle, what you're saying right now.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, like... Yeah. like that would be such a helpful position for, for that would be incredibly helpful to take, position, right? Yeah, and churches are taking that position, and I, you know, like, it. or at least I sense that spirit. And and the other one is in the Gospels. It's a pretty famous story. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. Uh huh. And homeboy died. <laughs> and he had he had two friends Mary oh he, he had two sisters Mary and mm-hmm. Martha and. You know, scripture doesn't go into crazy detail, but you know that Jesus was close with this family. Right? In fact, that whole passage is, is home to the shortest verse in the Bible mm-hmm. Jesus wept, right? So, so go through it and read it. Let me recap it for you. Um, brother Lazarus, sister Mary, sister Martha, Jesus, close family friend, right? Jesus is away, Lazarus dies. Jesus comes back to mourn the loss of, of Lazarus. And he spends some time with, with Mary and Martha and in they're in their, in their hurt and they're heartbroken and they're in pain. And I just think that it is incredible, like absolutely incredible, that Jesus looked at Mary, looked at Martha, was with them was present with them had the compassion to feel what they were feeling mm-hmm. and jesus wept
0: mm-hmm.
1: like that should be a very powerful image of yeah. our lord right yeah that should be and if i can meddle just a little bit if i can poke poke some fingers and you know stir the pot a little bit in a good way, hopefully, not just to not just to <laughs> get people upset. This is what Jesus didn't do. Of course, he's God. So he knows every single thing that's going on in the world. Yeah. He knows the tragedy. You know, he he knows that in just a short time he's gonna die. Right. Right? And and by him, I mean this was kind of a foreshadow of what was gonna happen to him, you know, dead and, you know, being alive. being you know, alive again. Jesus didn't say, "Well, you know, same thing's gonna happen to me." <laughs> right? Yeah, he didn't say that, and he could have. Yeah, you know, but he but he didn't. Um, he didn't say. Yeah, but man, that tsunami over on the other side of the continent just wiped out a thousand people. That's terrible. Yeah, he didn't say that, right? He was present mm. with the sisters as they were mourning, right? And of course, Jesus being Jesus, he knew that there were other families out there that lost brothers. Jesus did not say, all brothers matter. Hmm. He didn't say that. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, hey, Mary and Martha, you do know that all brothers matter. (laughs) And other brothers are dying. Yeah. And Jesus wasn't dismissive at all. He was present. He was engaging. Right. There's hurt and there's pain and he leaned into that. Yeah. You know, and I wonder if that's another posture that the church should
0: take. That's that's a good one. I never thought about it that way. You know, like...
1: Yeah. And here's, here's the thing with, with this conversation. Hmm. The fact that a good portion of our country is hurting and in mourning as a Christian should be enough for you to have some compassion and to enter into people's pain with them. Yeah. And not be dismissive about it. Right? It should. But we are very quick to be dismissive about it. Let me tell you some of the things that I've heard. Hmm. All lives matter. Well, duh, you idiot. Of course (laughs) all lives matter. Like, congratulations on graduating, you know, with your doctorate. (laughs) Of course all lives matter. But you're being incredibly dismissive and insensitive to this issue. Yeah. You know? Like, how do you not see that? Like, how do you not how do you not understand that to be dismissive in that flagrant of a way is, is hurtful. Right. You know? Like, like be present with people. Even if, even if you don't agree, even if you don't see it the same way people want you to see it, you can fully be present with someone and not have the same reality as them. And you don't have to subscribe to everything they believe, but, man, be present and don't be dismissive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think there's room. And, you know, here's where you might... You might disagree with me, you know. There's room for, for people to never wrap their mind around this systematic race, racism thing. And I get that. But as a Christian, I think your compassion, your sympathy have to overwhelm maybe some of your the way that you think. you know. And, and, and your brother or your sister that is in the corner hurting, that's more important than what's going on in your mind. And you got to be willing to, to 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 understand that you're called to the, the apostle Paul. You're to mourn with those who mourn, right. rejoice with those who rejoice. The book of Galatians says
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you know there's a section in Galatians the fruit the fruit of the spirit, and then immediately after that it says bear one another's burdens. Yeah, right. Even if it's not your burden, people shouldn't have to go through it alone. Yeah, you know.
0: And I think. Like, you know, to wrap this up, I'm not asking – I would disagree. I think everyone can understand systemic racism. I think it's not – and listen, I, I I admit that I come from a place of – I've never had a lot of privilege. I'm privileged now. I mean, we're sitting in a nice place. I have a JD. Like, you know. But again, I, I mean, I doubled the time of this podcast if I went through my childhood. Yeah. But, yeah. like, I'm a first-generation immigrant who learned English and then got a JD, and I'm explaining American history to Americans. So, you know what I mean? But, like, I, I'm not asking for people to feel bad. I'm not asking people to be sorry. I'm not asking for people to be experts in American history. I'm not an expert. I'm just reading what experts are writing. That's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for people to be open, present in the conversation, and willing to listen. Just willing to read the material. Or even willing to listen to the podcast. Because I'll read the material for you and tell you what it means. Just willing to like understand that there could be something that you're not getting in this conversation. Yeah. And that's just not what I'm getting. I'm getting a lot of people unwilling to listen, unwilling to understand, unwilling to be present, and just willing to be dismissive of the whole situation. And it's like, listen, man, I'm not a guy who talks out of my ass. I'm not. I If I don't know something, I'm the first person to tell you I don't know. I won't have an opinion because I don't know enough about it. But here we are in a situation where I'm not an expert on systemic racism. I'm not an expert on racism in general. I'm just a guy who read some history, and then I read what sociological experts have written, what criminology experts have written, and I'm telling you what they said. No. That's it. And, and we just don't have people willing to do that. And the church has been unwilling to do that up until this point. And I think that was a great—I think the Lazarus analogy was really great uh, in this example because we just don't have people who are willing to be present— because they're so dismissive of the whole thing, because it just doesn't affect them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I listen, I, audience. That's all I'm expecting. I'm not asking anybody to agree with me. Although I think that if you are a logical person, sure, sure, you'll you'll come to the same conclusion I have. But you don't have to. You just have to be willing
1: to understand and listen to the situation. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm asking. You know, and you know, for any Christians out there that might be listening, wondering how to, you know, navigate this stuff. Um, I don't have any how-tos for you Because I feel like That's a much larger and different <laughs> Yeah But I I I have a Don't do this Sure List And don't be dismissive Yeah um, Let me tell you what dismissive looks like
0: mm.
1: All lives matter Blue lives matter Focusing even Even as recently as a few weeks ago You know Focusing on the looting and the in the you know craziness that was going on, the writing. Yeah. Well, obviously that stuff is bad. Right. But by but by focusing on that so much, you're dismissing the whole core behind it. Yeah. You know, behind it. You know, shoot, we can even go old school. Like let's go way back in the history books to Colin Kaepernick. Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like like making it about patriotism and the flag and respecting our troops. Yeah. Is dismissive to the issue. Yeah. You know? So, you know, if you're a Christian and you're listening, or just even if you're a decent human being, yeah, and you're listening, like be careful what you say, be careful what you post. And and even as something as innocent or seemingly innocent as listen, you and I don't see eye to eye on this, but man, I feel for you. Don't even say, I, just, just delete the first part of that. Just say, hey, (laughs) man, I'm with you, man. I see you. Yeah. You're hurting,
0: therefore I'm hurting. Yeah. That would be, that would be worlds apart from where we are now.
1: You know, and I, I don't know. I I don't know how you can look at the life of Jesus Mm -hmm. and not see this, you know, and especially, you know, looking at maybe this example of, of Lazarus and Jesus having all the knowledge and all the information he was just present yeah he was with people who were hurting you know and I would say that's probably the first step you know there's probably other things we can do but like we we gotta start there
0: yeah Uh, let me finish the podcast with recommending if you listen to this and you think okay how can I find out more You can email me at gsb047 at gmail.com or you can DM me on Facebook or Instagram. If you go on my Facebook page, there are a lot of resources there. Uh, You can listen to the older episodes of this podcast. The very last episode of this podcast, I went through just, I mean, I didn't go through all of systemic racism. That was impossible. But I did go through kind of a primer. It's about an hour 15. I go through uh, some things that you should know in this conversation. Also highly recommend the documentary 13th, on Netflix, which will talk to you about the crime rates and incarceration rates of African Americans in this country. Uh, thank you, Josh, for joining us on the podcast. My very first guest of all time. It's
1: it's, it's an honor. It's an <laughs> he says it's an <laughs> it's, honor. It's an honor. You know, I would also say that yeah, yeah. Bob the Tomato uh, from from uh, the the creator of VeggieTales, Phil Vischer. Uh, oh, this, that's right. Yeah, yeah, there is
0: a great video uh, <laughs> by Bob the Tomato. What was what was his name?
1: Phil, Phil Vischer. Phil
0: Vischer has yeah. a 17-minute clip on uh, Facebook. It's on my page. You can just Google it, I'm sure, where he gives you a very quick down and dirty summary of why people are upset and why they're protesting. And I think that's also a great resource. If you got 17 minutes of your day, you're going to learn a lot uh, from that video as
1: well. And I got one other thing that would be helpful. Yeah. To identify a bad resource. Okay. Right. If you see a bunch of white, Republican, evangelical, Trump-loving people posting a video of a black person giving their take, (laughs) probably not. It's probably not the most healthiest of video to uh, build a mountain and die on. Yeah, that's.
0: That's a big that's something that's been happening a lot with Candace Owens and other uh people is basically people having racist views and dismissive views of this whole issue, weaponizing black voices uh in this way. And by the way, listen, I, I don't like I think Candace Owens is an idiot. Just because she's black doesn't mean she's the master of systemic racism. Listen to experts. A lot of this stuff is based on data, it's not based on how you feel about it. It's just it's based on history and data. That's why I said that. Although subjective stories are very important to color in everything that's going on, this is all based on facts and just objective things that have happened. So please don't listen to those people. Anything else?
1: All right. Glad to be on here, man.
0: (laughs) Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Share the podcast. Send it to your friends. Like I said, as always, if you have a problem or you disagree with me, on the content of what I'm saying – my wife sent me a list of times I clicked my tongue and swallowed. That's not what I'm talking about. If you have a problem with the content of what I'm saying, please send me a timestamp and the basis of your objection and I will respond to you. All right? And please, everyone, I got, I got Candace Owens' video sent to me 20 times. Please stop sending me dumb videos. Please. Okay? If it's really dumb, I will address it on the next podcast like I did the Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro videos. All right? Thanks, everybody.